I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Got a fun show today on tap. We're going to talk about the 2025 NHL Draft. We're going to talk about the U18 and U25 Nations tournaments, which includes, obviously, some big names for the 2024 NHL draft. And we got some mailbag questions to get to. It's been a while since our last mailbag, so it was good to hear from everybody, and uh, we'll get to answering your questions here soon. Before we get to all that, I did want to ask a quick favor. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. We would greatly appreciate it. It helps us a ton. So just my little humble plea before we dive into things here today. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How's Sweden? Sweden's great. Yeah, this is uh, an international episode of, of the Prospect Series today. I'm in Stockholm for the Global Series. First time I've come to Sweden that I haven't been here specifically to see prospects. So that's been a little bit of a difference. I, I, I was going to say, you're, you're not going to like J20 games right now? Like you're, you're doing the Prospect Series bad right now. I know. I know it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I actually was had hoped when I first you know, thought this might be a possibility that there would be some SHL games I could go see. Maybe Sandine Pelica would be somewhere close enough to Stockholm, but a couple issues. One, they were on a week off and up until today, Thursday, when the games are starting. And number two, your garden is, which is Stockholm's team is not in the SHL right now. They, they were relegated recently. So, uh, did not, the stars did not align for me here. Although I know Joe Smith did go the extra mile and, and went to, to Karlstad. So maybe I just got to get on his level. Could be mistaken. I don't even. Know. I don't even think they're doing that great in the Alsvenskan right now. To be quite honest, but uh, that's a whole other issue. And uh, actually, it's actually quite an eventful uh, last few days for Max, who is in Sweden right now, and he basically got married, and right after the wedding party was over, hopped on a plane to Sweden. Yeah, it was a it was a chaotic weekend. I won't lie about that. You can probably hear in my voice a little bit. Still recovering from. Uh from all that adrenaline, but it was such a blast. Um, we had an unbelievable time. So it was, it was great. And, and right away we, uh, we jump on a plane and, and get back to work. So we'll, we'll take a honeymoon at some point, but it's got to wait. It's got to wait for the hockey schedule to align. Right. Um, honeymoon in Europe can work. I'm not sure about in like November in, in Sweden, but it worked, but muzzle tub to max. And I'm sure all of our listeners are very happy for you and, you, uh, and for, and, and for Allison. And, Thank uh, you. I mean, it's I mean, Max is the one getting the, 
uh, the most out of that combination anyways. So, <laughs> no doubt. No <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, all right, let's dive in here today, Corey. We got some good stuff here. Uh, the 2025 draft. I know some people are going to say 2025, that's not a real year, but it is actually coming closer than uh, we think it is. And I want to start where we always can start with the 2025 or, or two-year-out drafts because we already know who the, the U.S. national team program is uh, for, for that year, fortunately. So we can start with the Americans. Yeah, and the Americans, the, I just saw that the recent Under-17 challenge, is out. I did an article on the 2025 draft uh, focusing on the top 07s that I saw at the U-17 challenge and, and the late 06s that I've seen along the way. Uh, U.S. finished silver at that tournament. Uh, and you know it was a really good gold medal game with Canada White going right down to the very end there at that game. Uh, and that U.S. team, for what I could see, uh, who actually had been off to a, a great start in the USHL play, mind you, but I thought looked very good at the tournament, led the tournament in scoring. Uh, they are a very deep group of players. Uh, you're, that's why you see a lot of names kind of splashed throughout the article. Uh, you know, they have a, you know, a, a group that can roll lines, roll defensemen. I didn't see a whole lot of liabilities on that team, uh, but I don't think this U.S. group has like the elite player. There's no James Hagens in this group. There's no Logan Cooley. Uh, there's no Jack Hughes or or somebody along those lines that I can identify as like, hey, you have a chance to be a one one, a one two, a one three in your respective draft year. But I saw a lot of players who have a lot of NHL traits. Uh, Cole McKinney is a very good two-way player, uh, has a you know a lot of predictable traits to be an NHL centerman. Uh, they have some really good defensemen. Charlie Trechway was one of the leading scorers in the tournament as a defenseman, good skater, super smart. Uh, Drew Schock uh, looked like a very dynamic, albeit small defenseman. Uh, Conrad Fondrick uh, and... and uh, Colin Potter look like very dynamic, albeit against smaller players. Uh, yeah, we'll see how they, this group develops over the coming years, but it looked like a deep, talented, but again, lacking the high, high end talent. And it's always interesting to see how that develops here, but it is, you know, the case usually. I think it's a little easier to tell with the Americans who's going to pop because they concentrate them with the national team development program. You're not so much waiting for guys across Canada and the different leagues to really show through. You start to kind of see it level out a little bit earlier. You said there's no Cooley. That's true. There is his, I believe though, his cousin, right? LJ Mooney is uh, is on that U17 team. Really uh, an interesting prospect because he's talented. He is five foot six. Yeah, and that's the issue. I saw Mooney play live a few years ago. It was some sort of bantam tournament or or something along there, and he looked really good. Um, and you know, you, you know, you saw the skating, the skill, it popped. You're like, okay, yeah. And this is where the, it's the danger comes when scouting kids who are that young. It's like, okay, well, you know, he's probably going to grow a couple inches, and then we'll see how his game looks when he does that in a few years. And then a few years pass, and he doesn't grow a couple inches. He's pretty much the same size I saw him at three years ago. And, you know, he doesn't – he looks like a mediocre NHL prospect right now because of the size. A super dynamic junior player. Um, and we're gonna, probably going to get into this conversation when we get to Adam Binak uh, on, the, on the Czech team. Um, but it's just really hard to make the NHL at five foot six unless you're, you're special. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Treadway. I mean, it, it does seem like between the, the two classes that are at the NTDP right now, the, the defense has been kind of a, a real strength of, of that group, which is 
funny. It's a little different than what we're going to talk about when we talk about the World Juniors a little bit, uh, you know, in a, in a week or two, I'm sure. Yeah, because yeah, this NTDP group right now, though the uh, not the ones for 2025, the 06s, they got basically that was the kind of the conversation coming out of the recent U18 uh, Five Nations. It's like, man, James Higgins is really good, and, and Cole Eisenman can score, but it's a massive fall off there. And and then with this group, uh, they're still good forwards, but it's yeah, I would say that the it's yeah, there isn't an elite forward, and if there's going to be an elite player on that US group, I'm guessing it'll come from one of the blue liners. Yeah, it does tend to work in cycles, though, and, and then we find that year after year. And on that note, it, is it fair to say that we may be in for, by the time we get to the 2025 draft, a little bit of a QMJHL renaissance, potentially? Possibly. And, and by I'm not saying these guys are all going to be super high picks, but I, I think all the all Canada, White, the team that won uh, the U17 Challenge, Caleb Denoyer and Emil Gite both played big roles. They were the number one and number two picks, respectively, in their QMJHL drafts. Uh, both played, you know, a lot of minutes, scored a lot. Gite, I think, led the tournament in goals. Um, his skating is an issue. Why he didn't make the, that top 20 list, I did. Um, but he's a guy to know, obviously, because of his skill and scoring ability. Denoye, on the other hand, has the skating, the size, the skill, um, playing a big role in a top QMJHL team right now in Moncton. So he's really intriguing. Uh, not among the 07s, he's a late 06, but Gabriel Dagla has a chance to be the first goalie picked next year. Um, he's been kind of inconsistent since he's in his junior play, but he's a talented goalie. And, and, you know, we'll see how these players progress over the coming year. But it looks like a better year for the Q because we're not usually talking about two to three Q players a year ahead. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you had to squint the last couple of years at, at the Q to find NHL prospects. So it might be a better year for them next year. How about for Team Sweden? Uh, Team Sweden, I thought was very good. Uh, this is not a great Swedish age group. The 06s, the 07s look a lot better. Um, Anton Frundell, Jacob is Wozniak are point per game guys in the J20s right now. Wouldn't surprise me if Frundell, who you know checks all the boxes, he's got you know good skating, really good skill in hockey sense, competes well enough, average size. Would not surprise me if he plays pro games this year for Jurgarden in the Osvenskin. Uh, you know he's been very promising. Uh, the guy who's actually I think even been the most promising Swede is actually playing in the United States. It's Sasha Boumediene. Uh, playing in Youngstown, nearly a point per game in the USHL. Great skater, moves the puck well. You know, I think you know all the big schools are chasing him right now. Um, you know, and between those guys, and there's a couple other good Swedes on that team too, eligible either in 25 or in 26. Um, looks like a much better age group for ne- for next season. You teased a bit earlier Adam Binak from, from the Czech Republic, and, and he's going to be an interesting one for the same reasons. I think probably a little higher end. Uh, ability here that we're talking about than when we talked about LJ Mooney here, but it is a similar frame. I mean, we're talking about a five foot seven centerman right now. Usually that means that they're going to be a five foot seven winger as they continue to progress. I didn't put Beanak on my uh, first 25 list. And he was the guy I thought about the most in that process. Cause I saw him at the Holinka for the, with the checks in the summer and that Czech team nearly beat Canada in the gold medal game. And they were, a, you know, had a very impressive tournament. And Vidak was very good in that tournament, very dynamic with his skating and skill and his playmaking, played a big role on that team. And you saw him there and you were like, wow, this guy's a really talented player. Sure, he's small, but he looks like, you know, he has the traits to be the next special small guy. Yeah. Um, and 
Then I see with the U17 challenge, and it was kind of the opposite. It was, yeah, you skate well, and you've got some aesthetic skill, but you're not really jumping out at me at all here. You, you know, just look like a nice, you know, a second, third round picks. And so it's like, which one of those two guys that I saw was real? Was it the guy I saw at the Holinka or the one I saw at the 17 challenge? And I guessing it's somewhere in the middle, but I just didn't, again, to be a top 20 pick. And that's, I only ranked about 20 players in that article. You have to be special at that size. And I did not see enough yet to say that he rises to that level um, but he very well, he very well could be, like I said, I'll, I'll see him again, probably in February and April live. And I'll kind of, you know, by the next time I do my next 25 list in the summer, I'll have a better assessment, I think of, of where Binox stands. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of that list, I think one of the things that, that caught my eye looking at it right away is for a while now, you know, I, I think James Hagen has always been right in that mix and he's your number one player, no surprise, but right there with him that we've expected to talk about at the top of the 2025 draft is Michael Meese. And he is in your top 10. I think he's at number six. But that's not quite in the territory that maybe we've discussed him in the past. He is off to a little quieter statistical start to this season than in his exceptional status year last year. Where are you at on Misa? What are you seeing and what are you not seeing right now? Yeah, he's a tough one. Uh, obviously, just because of the hype machine, I think you want to be just careful to not always to make sure you're, you're assessing what you see and not just based on hype. And Misa obviously... Very good exceptional status season. He's a 15-year-old in the OHL. Put up a ton of points. Was very good at, you know, these, you know, scored the 17 challenge too, where I saw him a bunch there. I just saw him live a couple of days ago, actually. Um, and, you know, I saw him at the Holinka too. So, I mean, you know, I feel like I'm fairly familiar with this player. And with Misa, I see talent. Like, he obviously is a very talented player. You know, become an exceptional status player and score as much as he has so far in the OHL without having legit skill and playmaking ability. He's a very good skater too. Uh, I just, like when I've watched him over the last year and a half, I don't see like the special traits. Like I would, if someone told me he deserves to be in that one, two conversation, I would ask for like a, you know, six Oh ish barely player, you know, what are the special traits he has that project him to the NHL and people will say, Oh, well, he's smart and he's detailed and he works hard and yada, yada. And I'd be like, well, this sounds a lot like a conversation we had two years ago, yes. basically. Um, and it's like, yeah, I need to see a little bit more out of Misa. Whereas yeah, I look at say his OHL counterpart, uh, Porter Martone in the OHL, at least he's six, three and he skates well, and he's got a ton of skill you're like, okay, I see that projecting out a little bit better. He's also off to a similar start as Mises. Statistically, I'd argue even a little bit better so far this season because Mississauga has been winning more games and he's been playing a big part in that. Um, so I, I got a lot of pushback from that. Not among NHL scouts, really. Mostly more among uh, the readers uh, about Mises being at six. Um, but I, I honestly, the, the assessment, I think I'm... I was nice to him because the assessments I've gotten from some scouts who've seen him this year have not been as kind. Well, and it, it's one of the kind of burdens, I think, of the exceptional status dynamic here is that to anyone else, like if you're ranking the top 10 of your draft class two years out, like it's it's exceptional praise, you know, but it, it, we set these kids up with the exceptional status. And I, I don't necessarily disagree that it should exist. I think a lot of people can benefit from it, but it does set this expectation that you're going to be McDavid-ish, right? And and sometimes right. you're just going to be Shane Wright-ish. And I don't know that it did Shane Wright all that great a service 
you know, in, in the big picture when you think about it. Joe Valeno is another one I think about yes. too in, in that regard. And yeah, like it, it, I think it definitely messed with, you know, with expectations with him significantly. Yeah. I don't know what this solution to it is. I guess I'm not really trying to just on a whim advocate to shake up this entire system, but I, I do think – go ahead. Yeah, I'm not sitting here saying Misa isn't an excellent hockey player, and that's like where I think this things could get lost. I think when – I think just people have heard his name now for a year and a half, and they expect him to be a superstar, and he still might well be. I have him right as a sixth overall prospect in his age group. Like he – you know, he could be two. He could be three this time next year if he really – if his game picks up, you know, I, I, it's very realistic. Just it's just not what I've seen so far this season. No, my my point is just that, like you know, even with the exceptional status thing, it's it's not just like they're picking the best player in an age group. Sometimes it can work out that way. But I, I my understanding is a big part of the process is about just like your maturity, your ability to yep. handle the junior lifestyle, and all that. I almost wonder if it might be a better situation. If they would just kind of open it up and say, hey, if you can make this team and if you seem like you can pass these, you know, maturity bars, then you can do it. We don't need to winnow it down. So there's only, I don't know, I don't know what it is at now, seven or eight guys and and half of them are like the best players in the NHL and half of them are players who well, I think get judged unfairly critically because of it. Would it be better? Maybe. I think what might be better is just to make the bar a little bit higher is so that it has to be McDavid, it has to be Tavares, it has to be Bedard. It has to be like this talent that just blows you away, that there's no debate that he's an impact player right away. Uh, and Misa was, frankly, impact. Like I said, he scored. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, it's like, so it's tough. But like I'd rather put that bar too high than put it too low and, you know, like have like, go with, Guys like poor, like Sean Day, go go what he went through and stuff like that. Well, I, I think to me, though, what I'm saying is you just eliminate the, the the distinction. You eliminate exceptional status as a distinction. And you just say, hey, 15-year-olds can play in the OHL if they can, you know, make this team, right? And, and if they seem to their coaches and their GMs like they're ready, then they can make the team. And you you eliminate this tag that we put on guys is kind of what I'm saying from it. But I get your point, too. I just think it's so hard to figure out. And, and they, it has been pretty rare. It's like one guy a year. I just think it's so hard to know who's McDavid that far out. And and that is ultimately, whether they intend it or not, that is what these guys are being tagged with um, when, when they get this exceptional status label. I tend to agree with you, although I you I watched a little bit of McDavid at that age. <laughs> fair enough, of, fair enough. Yeah. He, he, looked, he looked a little obvious. No, there I mean, was no know. doubt about Bedard either, I know. Uh, yeah, but like, no, I mean, like, you didn't know, again, you're actually going what he's going to do in the NHL, but you watched McDavid, like, for a couple of clips of that age, you're like, okay, so, you know, there's something different about this guy, but I get what you're yeah. saying. Uh, on that note, I guess we're going to do another kid a disservice here because I'm going to pivot you and talk to you about the 2026 draft because there is one more name here that I think we want to talk about. It does just so happen to be Connor Bedard's cousin, uh, Gavin McKenna, and he's off to to a really nice start here. Yeah, really nice start. I didn't think his U17s were good, were as good as I saw him in the WHL. Like he had some good games, some good moments, and he had some you know you know off games. His team wasn't great around him. Uh, but McKenna, who is several drafts away, is a late birth date at this level. So I think that's he's a 26 eligible, not a 25 eligible. Uh, and you know he's not the biggest guy. I think he's around five foot eleven. He's a good skater. He's not an elite skater. Uh, but for what I've seen of him in the WHL and then watching the U17 challenge, he does have some of those special traits you're looking for in, in a high pick. 
Um, and the and the kind of guys you're talking about, and like he could be the you know a a, a star potentially one day. Like his skill, his hockey sense, it, it jumps off the page at you. Like he makes some really creative plays. He sees the ice at a very unique level. Um, very dangerous around the puck. And when you look at him, watch him at Medicine Hat right now. I mean, he like you know I'm watching those games to watch the draft eligibles there. Like Caden Lindstrom could be a really high pick this year. Andrew Basha could be could be a reasonably you know high pick this year. And Medicine Hat, Medicine Hat's off to a really hot start. And when you go in to watch those guys, McKenna catches your eye. It's hard. Like he has that kind of skill. Um, we'll see how his game develops over the coming years. Um, but he looks like uh, a guy with a chance to be a, a really, really good pro one day. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break right there. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the U18 and U25 nations. Sit right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back, Corey. And uh, there was one name about the 2025 draft class that we didn't really get to uh, in that segment. And it may be very well the first pick in the 2025 draft. But I think it fits here because we're, we're going to talk about the, the U18 and the U25 Nations tournaments. And of course, when we talk about the United States U18 team, uh, James Hagens, who is the favorite to kind of be that uh, top pick in 2025 right now, at least in my opinion, and, and I know in yours because it's on your list, uh, you got to start with James Higgins. Yep. He led the U18 Five Nations in scoring, uh, looked uh, uh, very impactful throughout the couple of games USA played, uh, and, and, you know, with his skating, his skill, he was working hard, he got, you know, killing penalties even at times. Uh, just you know, really good all around centerman. Uh, the skating is very dynamic. Um, we got one question for the mailback that I didn't put in there. Somebody asked me whether uh, you know the, the Hagen's to Jack Hughes comparisons are fair, and I'm not sure I would go all the way there yet. I say as much in the article, uh, but I think the skating there's some rhymes there with just how well those feet and the and, and work and and how good his edges are. I, uh, whether he has Hughes's pure skill and hockey sense, I think he needs to prove that a little bit more over the coming two years. Uh, it's not unreasonable to suggest that, though. I mean, this guy is dynamic. Uh, he's an exceptional playmaker, and uh, he looks like he's got a chance to be a really impactful NHL center. How do you kind of – because when I've seen him, I, I to me, my natural comparison is, is Logan Cooley, and I, I thought it was kind of funny to see him a little bit in the Cooley role on his kind of typical line with, with Gochi and Snuggerud at, at the World Junior Camps. But there is kind of that continuum of, of USA centers, and we've seen enough of them not too dissimilar from that mold over the years. Where do you kind of have him at, at this stage in his career at least? 
he would be closer to Hughes than he would be to Cooley at the same wow. point. Yeah, like he is. He, he is. Cooley was really, really good. Uh, but there was like, when he was coming up, like he had to, you know, the scoring kind of uh, developed as time went went along, and, and to him becoming what what he was. Uh, uh, like Hagen's from like the from the get go here has been a dynamic, uh, impactful scoring centerman, uh, and so I think that's a distinction there. Again, not saying he is huge, but he's if you had to put him on that continuum. Like whereas he's closer to, I would say he's closer yeah. to Hughes than he is to Cooley, and definitely ahead of like a Clayton Keller at the same age. Yeah, absolutely. That's very exciting stuff. Uh, can't really talk about Hagen's without talking about his 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 typical running mate, which is Cole Iserman. Iserman will be in the twenty twenty four draft, and we've heard him discussed as high as really at some points the top two or three. How's that tracking so far as we get early into the season here? What's been interesting is after using them on the same line. For a large portion of their use uh, 17 season, uh, USA has not used them on the same line at all this season. They they play together on the power play, Hagen's on the left flank, Eisman on the right flank, uh, but they haven't really been playing together that much. Uh, so that's been interesting to follow. In terms of Eisman's play at the tournament, the U18 Five Nations, uh, yeah, he's been off to a fantastic start. You can just you know look up his stats. He's scoring a ton of goals, uh, historic. Uh, start to the season in terms of the pace of, of the goals he's he's scoring right now. At the tournament, though, with a lot of NHL eyes on him, and uh, it was, frankly, of not Iserman's best week. He actually still scored a lot. I think he had like the three goals and six points in four games, something like that. So it looks like fine numbers. But that was, I think, fifth among all USA players in scoring. I think tied for seventh in the tournament in scoring, which for any other player would be a good Week for a guy who you think is supposed to be a you know an elite scorer and a second overall pick, third overall pick wasn't a great tournament. He did not look good. He wasn't making many plays. He was forcing a lot of shots. Um, the scouts who were there were pretty critical of his play. Uh, and you know the way I would kind of phrase it now with Eisenman is is I would not like write it in stone that he's going to be a top three pick in this draft, like or a top five pick. You know, you, I put it in pencil, like he's a great, great player, really talented, great history of scoring. Um, but there are some concerns in his game that are shared among NHL personnel. Uh, and, you know, I I would not definitively say he's going ahead of Celaya. I would not definitively say he's going ahead of Levshunov or Demidov um, or, or, you know, so you can probably make one or two other arg- players in that argument. So I, I think he's got to play better. In the other international tournaments, the one in February and April, to establish him, himself in that area. Yeah, we we kind of teased it in the last segment talking about the the defense crop that's at both levels of the U.S. national team program right now. But another name that is in your top uh, five for the twenty twenty five draft is Logan Hensler, and he he kind of headlines what's a really strong group for, for this team. You think about E.J. Emery, Will Scahan, obviously uh, Quinn Hudson. Uh, it, it's quite the group that they have there right now. Cole Hudson, Quinn Hudson is his oldest brother. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, sorry. It's okay. We, 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 uh, There's just so many Hudsons. I want there to be more and more Hudsons. That's fine. Um, yeah, and Hensler's a very talented player. We talked about him in this podcast before. 6'2", good skater, really good puck mover. Um, it's interesting that the the guys I like most for next year's draft, the 25 draft, I think they seem to be all be late birthdays. Like I think, I think the top four players I had ranked 
which were Hagen's, Martone, Roger McQueen from Brandon, and Hensler. I think were all late birthdays, so it's kind of interesting coincidence in that in that regard. No, but yeah, he's a good player. I thought uh, Hudson had a good week there at the 18s. He had a slow start to the season, but I thought he played. He's played really good lately. The game I saw him against Cornell, I thought he was really good, and then at that time I thought he was good. Uh, Skahan and Emery are still guys I have to get comfortable with because I don't know what they're going to be in the NHL. They're both big. They both skate well. Skahan's got some meanness in him. He was better at this tournament than Emery was. I think there are questions from me and shared by NHL people about whether there's any offense in either of their games. Um, and, you know, I think we started the season like saying like, oh, these are really promising pro prospects. Could they even make the U.S. World Junior team? I would say no. Like Skahan and Embry are not on the U.S. World Junior team. I'm not even sure Hensler. Like, I know we kind of talked about that. I don't know how good he was at, in at the USHL Fall Classic. He's not been good enough, I think, to to rise to that level, uh, to be on the World Junior team. Even though they're all, you know, very nice pro prospects, I think the World Junior team will come from. There won't the only draft eligible defenseman that I think will be on the World Junior team is Zeev Boyum, who's been actually outstanding this year at Denver. Uh, it's made for a very good uh, college crop among drift eligibles with him and Levshunov and, of course, uh, Macklin Celebrini. All right. Uh, moving to kind of the rest of these tournaments here, I want to talk about the USA is, typically dominates uh, this tournament, and it, it's a you know natural fact. They play together all year. It's why they're always the favorite at the U18 World Championships. Obviously, they're still good there, but they did lose a game, did they not? They did. They were up, I think, 5 nothing or 6-1 at some point to Sweden, and they uh, choked it away, more or less. Uh, it was really bad goaltending on the on the part of Parsons uh, for U.S., but it was the Swedish age group, which has uh, not looked great in international tournaments, historically, uh, with a huge victory, uh, you know, so, several, you know, uh, players in this team who you were like, oh, I don't know where these guys are going to fit. You're seeing some guys who have some second round potential now, maybe even some late first potential on this age group. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it's nice to see some some developing talent from the Swedes, whether it is Leo Shalin Willanius, whether it's Alphonse Freys, whether it's Lucas Pedersen. Uh, you know, they, they've got some guys that, that are developing well. How about a couple of the the bigger names that we've come around to in, in this age group? Constellanius, Adam Juracek, uh they, they they played at this event, I believe. Yes, they played at the twenties. Um, the twenties, okay. uh, and they were good. Uh, you know, like Helenius played a big role. They had, a Finland's team got kind of banged up, and he had to, I you know, basically be a guy they leaned on, and he he was a top performer for them. And Juracek too. I don't think he stood out, but he's. 6-3 and he skates well and he was able to move the puck well enough and he looks like a guy who's going to – both of those guys I think are going to play big roles on their World Junior teams uh, this winter. How about Team Sweden for the U20s? I think th- this was kind of a preview team really of, of what they will bring it, it seems to the World Junior. You get guys like Sandy and Pelika in there, even the, the high high picks that are uh, skating with the 20s at this event. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of injuries, and you know, that to the team like Elias Pettersson, Elias uh, Salomonson on, on the blue line that probably will be there with when the real team forms. But they look like their world junior team, the one they brought to the 20s. Um, you know, like you had guys like Noah Oslin and Lekaramaki who were scoring a lot. I presume when Liam Ogren gets healthy, he'll be on their wing. He wasn't at this tournament, but that's a presumption. I think it's fair to fair to make. Uh, you know, they were scoring. Uh, then you had guys like uh, actually Axel Santin Pelica, like you said, he was showing some offense. He uh, led their team in, in minutes. Looks like he's going to play a big role on the World Junior team. 
I thought David Edstrom, Philip Bistet, you know, big sentiments who can skate. They played a lot of minutes. Edstrom, I think, led their team a nice time. Looked like a really nice two-way player, even though the offense wasn't really there for him in the tournament. Um, I think they've got some tough decisions to make particularly on their blue line. Like I said, we got Axel Sandin Pelica, uh, Matthias Havlid, which is the coach's nephew, and obviously he's you know a very good player and um, accomplished with his age group. He's there. I think both of them are for sure on the team. And you have a lot of guys who won gold with this team and played well doing so. You have Elias Pettersson, who I mentioned, and, and Salmonson. Uh, you have Cali Odalius, the Islanders pick, who played well or well enough at this tournament uh, to be in consideration. And then you have a guy like Anton Johansson, who wasn't always a top prospect, mid-round pick by Detroit a few years ago, but he's played really well. He's big, he skates well, he's shown he can make a good first pass. Scouts were kind of raving about him coming out of this tournament. Um so I, I think they've got some tough decisions to make on, on this blue line. Um, and don't forget, of course, Tom Willander, 11th overall pick by, by Vancouver, who I think will be you know firmly in, in that discussion. You got Theo Lindstein, the first round pick by the Blues. So I think they're going to have to leave some good defensemen at home. I mean, this team looks like it's going to be quite strong. It's it's actually shaping up to be a few really strong World Junior teams this year between the U.S. team, obviously the defense question, but such a strong forward group. Canada, always so good, but especially we'll see who they're able to bring, which is, I guess, kind of always the question. But Sweden's right in that mix. Like They're, they're going to challenge for a gold medal. I agree. Yeah, they are definitely a medal contender. I think the question with them relative to U.S. and Canada is who's the elite player on your team? Like who can who's going to hit the All Star ballot on this team? Who can like you know who can you lean on and play twenty three minutes in a tough game and hit, and they'll tilt the ice? I'm not sure I see that player yet, but they have a very deep team of really good players. Yeah, and, and I, I Finland has had this recipe though, right? Like you, you, you get these like big centers and this deep, def, you know, defense core. Like we've seen this from less talented teams, and, and I know that this is kind of a Finland thing. They show up to tournaments and they break shit, but I could see Sweden being a higher talent version of that, right? Right. I think again, they have a lot of talent. All they need to do is win the goalie battle in the game against Canada yeah. or or USA. That's all they really need to do. That's, that's kind of what the Czech model was last year. They didn't have a more talented team than. Canada did last year, but they had they had they got some good goaltending and it carried them right to within an inch of a gold medal. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's take another break right there, and we will come back and get to our first mailbag in a while. It'll be good to uh, to dive back in there. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Corey, let's get to this mailbag here. We got some good ones so far. And and this is obviously one that I think uh, this transcends the prospect show, really. Dr. Allo wants to know your thoughts on Yuri Slavkovsky and kind of the early career difficulties he's had. We've we've talked at length about 
you know, kind of the the slower uh, starts that certain number one overall picks have had over the last five years or so. Do you chalk that up more to to that and, and no worries, or is there something deeper in, in play? And I actually think the last few games he's actually looked a lot better. Like the points aren't coming yet, but he's being he he's creating offense and at least showing a little bit more positive signs. But it's been a slow start to the season and to his career. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think you could have some real, you know, hard conversations about whether Montreal should have actually put him in the NHL to start. I think even when we talked about this last year, I I, I wasn't completely sold he was NHL ready. Even though I love the player and I think he's going to have a promising NHL career, I think you can definitely make the argument he was rushed. Didn't have a you know didn't light up even in Europe and it, with his club team, uh, but he was playing full time in the NHL right away. You know it, it begs some questions um, on that, but I still think you know with with all the tools he has, um, I still think he's going to be a, a very good player. And I think I would, I would be patient with these kind of players and and not quick to rush to judgment on whether other guys yeah we hate to use the word bust or disappointment because he's just so young and it wasn't a good draft class we've had this conversation before about you know there wasn't a consensus one you know it was kind of like a couple of guys you could pick from you know he wasn't what you think of with what a, a real legit number one overall is so i don't know if it's fair to hold him to that expectation but even if he was legit number one you have guys who have started slow nico he wasn't always great to start his career. Yes. Jack Hughes wasn't always great to start his career. Alexi Lafreniere, who all of a sudden is kind of putting up, up some goals and some points with the Rangers and helping them win games, definitely wasn't always great to start his career. Slavkovsky, you could argue, had the had the worst start of those four. And I'm not saying he will reach the level of he sure Hughes, uh, definitely. But I he's a teenager. Like, it's like so many guys from that draft are not even in the NHL yet. Not not talking about like the draft of all I'm talking about like the super high picks. Like I can't look at that draft and yeah, Cooley's having a really promising start to his career. There's no doubt about that. Korchinski's looked very good in the NHL um, with Chicago, but I can't look at five guys other than Slavkovsky in that draft view and be like, yeah, he's definitely going to be better than Slavkovsky. I, I and I don't know if anybody could reasonably make that argument. Well, we also just see the, the the power style winger takes maybe the longest to really hit their stride in the NHL, and that's in normal circumstances, right? So, in, uh, to me, I'm not worried about it with Slavkovsky yet. I, I think you know people should probably adjust what their overall. This isn't just specific to it, Slavkovsky expectations of a top five pick are. I think they want every single one of those guys to be like a ninety point star, but I think it's totally possible that your Slavkovsky is a sixty plus point power winger and you are you'll take that all day even at number one right well we had that conversation about Lafreniere for a long time when it didn't come right away and I I've kind of always maintained with that with Alexi like he's a really good player and it's it may not come right away and yeah you're concerned about the skating and maybe the offense isn't as elite as you were hoping for but uh, you know, I've always continued to rate him pretty highly in terms of my projections when I do when I do my list of, of young players in the NHL, and just say, well, he might just be a first line wing. He's not, he might not be a star, but he might be a fifty to sixty point winger, which again is maybe not what you were hoping for when you picked him at number one. But that player still goes top ten, top seven, yeah. top five sometimes. Like you know, like that's still an extremely valuable player. And one that is not easy to find in the draft, even if it is a winger. Yeah. 
I don't, I'm not technically sure if I can read this next one on air, but I'm just going to do it. And I apologize if I'm not supposed to. How toaster bath season is it for us <laughs> devil fans? Stephen O'Keefe wants to know. It's a very uh, obviously harsh uh, way of phrasing it. But I guess what he's asking is how worried should devil fans be right now? It's not been the start. I think a lot of people expected, a lot of myself included, uh, expecting them to kind of challenge for the president's trophies. It's, it's been a 500 start effectively, seven, six, and one. They're sixth in the Metro, but it is still so early. And the underlying numbers, I guess, still do tell a more favorable story. Where are you at on this one? What I think has been really interesting to me this season is seeing how many teams uh, have come into this year as you know playoff contenders, maybe Stanley Cup contenders, and have gotten just abhorrent goaltending to start the year. I think I think it was I think you know there's always been like a, a long uh time train of thought that when it comes to goalies that you could find a goalie. They're replaceable. There's a bunch of good goalies you can find. Uh, it's only about the elite ones. And I as I look around the NHL, I'm not so convinced that's the case anymore. Like I I really I'm not sure it's that easy to find a decent goalie. A guy that you can play for 40 to 50 games and feel confident about. Because I think a lot of these teams would go out and get that guy right now if it was that easy. It's not just New Jersey, which aren't getting good goaltending. It's, uh, you know, Minnesota isn't getting good goaltending. Carolina isn't getting good goaltending. Edmonton famously hasn't been getting good goaltending. Buffalo, Seattle, Toronto, Tampa, obviously, with the Vasilevsky injury. It's been a lot of talented teams that are not getting a save right now and New Jersey is among them. And I don't know how to solve that problem because if, if, if there was an obvious goalie out there, all of those teams would be going after it right now. No, it's true. I mean, you, know, you can think of any number of kind of explanations here. Is it just that the offense has, you know, the, the league has obviously wanted to increase offense. I, I don't think that's unfair to say there's expansion, which thins out the, the pool. How many goalies are out there? If, if you believe there's a, a fixed number of, you know, NHL caliber goalies at one time, you add two more teams, it takes four of those goalies out. Uh, that affects everyone at some level, but it it is interesting. That, but I, I do agree with you, Corey. Goaltending is is a, in a tough spot right now. And, and you do look at some teams like the Red Wings who are carrying three right now. And I don't know that any of them are uh, the answer to like a team like New Jersey or Edmonton or Buffalo's problems. Uh, you don't usually see a lot of goalie trades, but I, I do wonder some of these teams and New Jersey would probably fall into this bucket Uh to try to make a play for somebody, well, you know, you can even look to Anaheim, like John Gibson. I don't know if Anaheim's so married to to chasing the playoffs this year that they wouldn't ha- have that talk. But some of these teams are going to have to try. And given how many teams need goalies, I just wonder what the market would be if there's a legit goalie on the market for for the trade deadline. It, it would probably be a pretty significant price. Right. And, and I, to me, if you're going to do it, you do it quick. I don't think you want to wait and then try to integrate a goalie in those last six weeks of the season. I think you're trying to do this thing before Christmas if you're going to do it. I know they got him signed. Imagine if Hellebuck was available right now. I know. And, and I was kind of <laughs> counting on that as the big uh, the big story to drive traffic to our website for half of the half of the winter here. But uh, they, they got that one done. Uh, so. and, then, and then they started winning games again. And, and it's just... Taking that whole story away from us. That's right. I know. How, how cruel of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, all right. Let's get on to the next question here. Uh, Kyle Hamaker wants to know, has Bedard been below met or exceeded expectations so far? This is a fascinating one because it's going to depend so much on who you're talking to. He's exceeded mine, but I don't know that like there were some really high expectations. Out but, there. Yeah. He slightly exceeded mine, at least early on. Like 
you know, I thought he'd be really good as, you know, 55, 60 point guy right away. Might be a little bit higher than that. The goals might could touch. I thought he could be you know, 30, maybe he'll touch 35, maybe he could even be 40 this year. You know, it's, it's above expectations. If your expectations was like, what was that ridiculous thing ESPN did on the the first night, like where they like put like that graphic of like Gretzky or something like that or something like yeah, right. When you're like, when you're like comparing him to like the greatest of all time players, uh, okay, he hasn't been that. Like he's no. not, he hasn't been Sidney Crosby's rookie season or even like you know, I wouldn't say Matthews was a little bit more impressive at obviously out of the gates as a, as a rookie or something like that. Um, so he's he's not there, uh, but I mean he's. Chicago's best player right now. I mean, he's impact impacting games with his scoring and his skill. Um, obviously, there's going to be an adjustment there physically for him as an 18 year old going up against much bigger players, and he's you know still got a, a kid's body, but uh, you know he's creating a lot of offense consistently, and I would say slightly above expectations. Yeah, I mean, to me, the whole way I, I've kind of been describing him as like a. a- if you invert the goal scoring and the playmaking from Patrick Kane, that's Connor Bedard, right? And that's what what he can be here. And I think he's and, on track, maybe a little ahead of that. I'd rather take the goals than the playmaking too. Just right, and and so like that's a that's a little bit better player than Patrick Kane, right? And that's a that's an outstanding expectation if uh, that's your expectation. He's got similar like stats this year to like Cole Caulfield, and he's what like four years younger and a center. So I would got like nine goals in 13 games. He's off to a tremendous start. It's it's I I expected like a 30, 30 season from him this year. And he's on pace to, to, you know, beat that by a good margin. Yep. That's fair. All right. uh, On to the next one. Uh, Mason Ritchie drafts are always hyped up, but I never really see them compared much to each other. If 2023 is an A plus draft. Wow. Mason, first of all, I'll finish reading this question. You, you could find that one. I promise. If you, if you look for that one, you can find them compared to each other. Uh, If 2023 is an A plus draft, as far as high end talent depth, how would you grade 2024 and 2025? How about 2022 and 2021? Corey, you're the king of comparing drafts to each other. So no one better to ask the question to. Right, and I think we gotta make we wait at least a second before we call twenty three A plus. I know it looked like that early on, like yeah, Darn, obviously yeah, Fantilli's an excellent prospect, Leo Carlson's an excellent prospect, Mishkov's an excellent prospect. It could be that, but we'll have to see how time plays out. And at least in terms of the depth part, of it, definitely. But the high end, you definitely could argue is A plus. Uh, comparing it to the other drafts, we'll start with uh, the two that have just happened. So we'll say twenty twenty two. That would be, you know, that that one I think is below average. Yeah. Uh, we just talked about that with Slavkovsky. Like even if, even if Cooley was your one one, are you like like jumping up and down, or you're like he looks like an, an okay, decent one? Like I think he's a par one, but yeah, then he's not thrilled like, with the top five overall. I don't think. Yeah, it's like he he looks like an Ekblad, like a Nico Hischier, like really important player. But I'm not sure. It, it's too early to say he's Jack Hughes or yeah. or that kind of player. Um, so I'd say that one's below average. Uh, 21 would be interesting. 21 gives me like um, 2019 vibes in terms of how that draft looks. Because yeah. the first four guys, in terms of how I would rank them, in terms of how they actually have went in the draft, you know, whichever order we put them in, Owen Power, Matt Beneers, Mason McTavish, Luke Hughes, they're all elite young talents. And again, you can put those guys in whatever order you want. But and I think it's they're you know they're absolutely fantastic prospects. 
McTavish is off to a great start this year. Benier's kind of a slow start, strangely. Uh, but 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 you know, Calder winner, him, he's a great player. Um What's interesting about this draft compared to 2019, because 2019 has a ton of stars in that draft, you know, four, five, six legit stars. And then it's a massive drop off. And then I think this draft, there's kind of a, the, the, from those four to the next group, it's like, how big is the next group? Is it Kent Johnson who's in the American League? Is it Simon Edmondson? He's in that group. It's like, okay, how many other guys are in this next group? It might be only a couple extra guys. And then the drop is pretty massive after that it's so like that's kind of how i feel about that draft class right now so i would lean to it being uh, because there's those four really good players i want to say it's slightly above average but i don't know it, it kind of looks average to me right now yeah and, and I, this is a you know i'll i'll kind of borrow something that you a drum that you beat regularly you should just consider most drafts are gonna work out average that's why average exists right because you, that's the baseline uh, and, and so that when he, when he talks about in the question, you know, drafts being so hyped, this is why Corey always is the Grinch and and tells people <laughs> maybe temper it back a little bit because it, it things will work out a little differently than we expect. And these drafts that are supposed to be 15, 20 deep, usually you're going to revert within one or two of the baseline average of, of, of being these kind of upper lineup players. And, and that's kind of what I think with 2021 20, looks like right now is like, Maybe the depth isn't there, and there ended up being one or two extra high-end guys. Uh, but we'll, again, we're only a couple years out, so we'll see. For 2024, kind of the same drum. I think it's an average class. Um, I think it really – and we're so early in the draft process right now, it's hard to like be definitive. It's like, all right, we need to see how the shooting-off season goes. We need to, I just talked about Eisenman earlier in this segment. Yeah. Uh, you know, is he legit? Is he not legit? We got to kind of figure out how his year goes and kind of figure out what, what tier he falls into – you know, where does Yakemchuk fall? Where does Sam Dickinson fall? I think those are all things we got to figure out. Right now, it looks like there's one legit, legit guy in Macklin Celebrini, maybe two if you're a big Anton Celaya fan. Um, and then it kind of drops off to a, a little, you know, five, six names in the next group. That to me is more of an average group. And then for 25, which the questioner asks, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, I can't. Too soon. I can't, I, I can't even tell you. I, you know, there's a couple of guys you're really excited about. Like I said, like Hagens, like Roger McQueen, like Porter Martone, like Hensler. How I can fit them in where they project in the tiers and whatnot. Like I, that it's too early for me to say. I, I, I wouldn't say early on that there's anything alarming in either direction. I'm not looking at that draft being like, whoa, where's the players? Or like, holy heck, we got some really good players coming. Yeah. 2024 draft give you any 09 vibes at all that the Tavares Hedman kind of top and then maybe you know it's a Duchesne Kane Shen Ekman Larson kind of like yeah good not yeah, superstars I, I like that comparison actually yeah yeah all right all right uh on to the next one here uh Swashbuckler wants to know what does Yuri Kulich have left to improve at the AHL level and is he a center at the NHL level not sure at a center because he's like 511 60 and he's like a good not elite skater but I mean I'm Entertain the idea at least because he competes well and he has a, the offense. Um, I, to answer his first question, I don't. I think they've got to try him out now. I mean, they're getting hurt now in Buffalo, um, and they're they're not winning games. So uh, I mean, he's been so good in the American League, and I'd try it. Like he's a really good prospect, and he's shown he can score versus men consistently. So I don't see what what it's going to hurt. I think it's 
We've talked about this with Buffalo before. It's going to be really interesting as the years go on here with this group of forwards they have. How many more like 5'11", 6'0", wings can they really plug into this lineup? Like where, yeah. where is Noah Oslin going to fit in this lineup? Where is Benson going to fit? Where is Matt Savoy going to fit? Is this going to be like a lineup of like 5'10", 5'11", guys? It's, is that how you're going to win and just kind of have Dylan Cousins and Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck around them? Like, So I think that will be really interesting to see how it all comes together. I've been banging the drum for Buffalo to start trading some of these guys. I know that maybe doesn't win me too many points with Sabres fans, but I think they're at a point right now with the guys that they have in place there that if they wanted to build a package around one or two of these guys, even the first round picks, I'm not saying necessarily Coolidge specifically, but you just listed off like four guys who I think are have real trade value, who could be a, a centerpiece of a trade to bring them back, someone that can help them accelerate right now and, and, and help their pursuit right now, maybe even just that goalie. Right. I mean... I'm not even going to go to that whole their goaltending thing. People will think I'm a hater, but it's uh, it's interesting because I, I tend to agree with you, but they can't right now because those big guys are hurt. You know, yeah. Tuck is hurt, Thompson is hurt, so they need those guys right now. Yeah, no, they got they got to fill gaps, but I I think big picture, like I I thought, you know, I don't know if it was ever a real even possibility that Hellebuck would, would have been traded last summer. Now that he's obviously had the deal worked out. Um, but that was one that I thought would have made a, a ton of sense. And uh, I, I think there's going to be more options like that for, for Buffalo. And that's what I'd love to see them do. Uh, last uh, one here. Uh, uh, yeah. The package to Anaheim for Gibson would be interesting, but like, do all those small forwards feel like Pat Verbeek type of guys? Maybe not. I mean, I don't know that like, I don't know that I would want to trade Zach Benson for John Gibson necessarily, right? right? I think you'd probably lose that trade. Benson would be the one who I think you could make most make the case because of the compete. And maybe you could make that case with Savoy. Would you do Savoy for Gibson? I probably would. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't, I don't know if Anaheim would. Cause again, I think they would have to ask a question is like this, the kind of player we are missing in our, in our system. And like I said, I don't know if that is the type of player that if you, when you look at what they've been drafting, they draft, you know, bigger players traditionally. So I, I, I don't, think Savoy I don't, on McTavish's wing would work. I think that that could, that that's actually a pretty ideal setup for, for Savoy, I think. Right. I think it's, it's, it would, it would be interesting, I, but Savoy stock isn't really high right now. Yeah, No, I know. That's why that's, so I think he would need to have like a really good second half of good world junior before you start talking about that at the trade deadline. Yeah. All right. Just us trying to solve the Buffalo Sabres in, uh, in five minutes or less. Uh, last one here is going to be from Rob Turin. Uh, could we ever see NHL teams in Europe? And if yes, how would it work? Uh, that well, one just seems too tough. <laughs> you're the one in Europe right now. You're the one seeing the logistics of it all. Like, what would be your thoughts? Yeah, I just, you know, someone here, another writer here made the comment to me this week that they would love to see NHL teams in the Champions League. That feels a little more attainable and yet still too hard to pull off, right? I think an NHL team in Europe travel-wise, with the jet lag, it's just entirely too hard to pull off. You'd almost have to have an entire division out here that played each other and and then came over for the playoffs or something, Um, which I'm not saying is like, impossible but it just seems like a logistical headache to me um you know even the even the champions league idea which i kind of love you're still asking teams to take time out of there you'd you'd almost have to tell every champions league team you're gonna have to go do this if you're playing a a, a nhl team it has to be in north america to make it work schedule wise for them and i don't know if that's something that even works out either so i think the logistics are just too tough i feel like we're 
we're going towards this direction right now, like as a society. I don't know when it happens, but I feel like there's momentum in this direction. I think particularly in the NFL, I think it's going to happen at some point. And the big difference between the NFL and the NHL is the number of games. you got 17 yes. games there, not, not 82. So I can see like a path where like the NFL has like these games in England and Germany they've been doing right now. And you can kind of send two teams over there to play that game and then have them stay an extra week and play the team in Europe. And yes. then you've got the team in Europe come over, come, like, come over for like three to four weeks in a row or something like that. And you could kind of make those logistics works to where it's fair and makes for a representative quality, you know, in terms of the games and, and, and the standings. The NHL will be different because I, I think I agree with you. Like, I don't think you can just have teams pop over for a one-off in Sweden or something like that. They would need to be, to make it fair, to make it make sense, I think, financially, they would need to come over and be here for two weeks. And so the NHL have- already has the, the one-week buffer on either side of a game, right? Like the, the Red Wings, the Wild, the Senators, the Leafs are all doing that. they got like four or five-day buffers on either side of the game. And it's going to compress the rest of their schedule so much just in the buffer time to adjust to the jet lag that it's going to be a hardship. That, that's something that's in my story today with Peter. The Avs talked about that uh, from last year and how that affected them. So in, unless I think you were going to make a whole division over here and teams were going to come for like, like you said, kind of like a two-week road trip. You'd, you'd almost have to have six if you're going to do any, I think. I mean, the NHLPA loves this idea. Six new teams, like, you know, about 150 <laughs> new jobs. This sounds yeah, great. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and we, we, we can't find goalies on any of these 32 teams right now. Imagine if there was 36 teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think, think about think about who your starting goalie would be in that situation. Yeah, no, I it's uh, I mean, I love the idea though because I do think the hockey culture here is so great, and you know, you've been to to European games, Corey. Like the atmospheres, honestly, kind of blow the NHL atmosphere out of the water with some of the crowds. And all due respect to our our listeners who are the NHL fans, but uh, there, it's amazing. I would love to see that on a regular basis, and I can't wait to see it in, in two hours tonight. So. Uh, um, it, it's going to be, uh, I just think logistically it's, it's, it's going to be too hard to pull off, but I hope I'm wrong. I just, you know, I don't, I don't see it. I don't know about like a, like a full-time team there, but could you do something where like you have like a block of your schedule that's purely divisional so that there's no disadvantages in terms of time zones and stuff like that. And just take a block of those divisional teams and just send them over for a couple of weeks. Maybe you'd, you'd have to make sure that those teams were okay with, you know, living out of hotels for that amount of time, I guess. But, um, you know, in that way, that's not like what you're kind of describing isn't too dissimilar to just like the baseball concept of homestands and road trips, right? Like they are kind of a week on a week off and it's just the way of life. Right. You just, the teams would need to be compensated for the lost home games and stuff like that. But that's the, that's the way I think it would have to work uh, outside of, like you said, adding five teams essentially across Europe, which is, you know, basically would, no, that was like kind of the KHL's vision at one point was to be like a cro- a, co- a cross continental, not cross continental. Like uh, they wanted to have teams before the war stuff like that. They were trying to get teams. You know, they had the team in in, in uh, Helsinki, Yokohama, yeah. and they had visions of going to, to other countries too. There was a China uh, team. Yes, you know, and they they that was their vision. Um, obviously, that vision is no longer a thing, but. You know, that would be how it has to be implemented is you really need to have like a, a team in the Czech Republic a team in Sweden a team in Finland um, and I just don't know if that's really if that scenario is realistic in the NHL but again I think in football it's coming yeah alright that is going to do it for us thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show 
Lots of good stuff posting there every day. So do that and we'll talk to you soon.